Galatians 6 and 1, 6 and 2, brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, the King James says, in meekness, considering yourself lest you also are tempted. Galatians 6 and 2, bear one another's burdens, help somebody carry what they're going through. Don't let people carry stuff all by themselves, but help people to go through what they're battling, help them to get through it. And when you do that, you actually fulfill the law of Christ. You've heard of the law of Moses. This is the law of Christ. Does Christ have a law? Oh, yeah, there's a law. The New Testament, there's a law. It's a law of the heart. And it transcends the law of Moses. It's not just rules, but it's completely all about what's right when you find it. And those are the things we've got to be good at. When you find something, sometimes the Spirit will speak to you and say, help out. And it's part of being a Christian that when you find someone who has been broken or hurt, if you're spiritual, it is our responsibility to help someone that is going through a tough time to get them out of that storm that they are in. And that is a beautiful thing that every church should have at the core of who we are. And I want to talk about a popular subject that I've talked about many times. And somebody say, finder's fee. Whenever you find something that's wrong in the kingdom of God, you have to pay the fee. You know what the fee is? You got to help fix it. Some of y'all that see everything wrong, <laughs> you're going to get anointed tonight to be a part of the solution. Yeah, so everybody say in Jesus' name. You can be seated tonight. Thank you so much for joining with me in the standing with the word of the Lord. We're glad you're all here. If you're guests tonight, thank you for coming. There's a few guests tonight. We're so glad you're here tonight. And we know that God's going to bless you. God's going to strengthen you. And uh, finder's fee, wow. There are two ministries that each Christian, that's you, that's me, each of us need to develop. We need to develop evangelism, number one. We have to go out and reach people for Jesus Christ. We have to be able to be a light, a city set on a hill, to be salt, to be able to reach people that need Jesus this is a massive part of the commandment of Christians that we should be able to go after people, to talk to people, to witness to people, to tell our stories to people, to evangelize. Number two, we cannot just evangelize people. We have to be willing and able to restore people because the people that we are reaching are not easy to work with people. They are not perfect people. They are people with baggage and pain, people with issues, people that have come through so much abuse. And when they get in the church, I'm so glad we can get them in the church, but when they get in the church, they're not finished. They're not perfect. They're not holy overnight. They need someone to carry them along when they make a mistake, when they mess up, when they have a fault. They need somebody in the kingdom that is spiritual enough to be able to lift them up Give them something they can use to get off out of the hole that they're in. And that's what God wants for every one of us in the kingdom of God, to be able to have evangelism and to be able to have restoration. Churches will normally count how many new members have joined, but I've never heard a church count how many members they've lost. After Easter, you can expect every pastor to post that we had 800 and we all clap and we celebrate, but when's the last time a pastor posted, we lost 800? <laughs> it's not good business to talk about what came in if you never talk about what went out. And if you're a business owner, if you're someone who works in financing, it doesn't do any good to walk into the board meeting and say, we had a million dollars come in. I would like to close the meeting. <laughs> Someone there will probably say, how much went out? True church growth and church health is not just about who comes in. It is not just about how many guests you have. It is not just about how many you're filling the front, not just how many are in Bible studies, or not just how many are getting baptized in Jesus' name or full of the Holy Ghost. That's all good. That's all the beginning. That's the birth. But, but we have to make sure that we are calculating how many are staying healthy. How many are growing and maturing? How many are with us five years later? 
because often too many times we shout over those who come in and never weep with those who leave. And it's not a good balance for a church to have. It should hurt us. It should pain us. It should be everyone's responsibility to look 15 yards around where you're sitting and realize somebody's missing. And it hurts me because they are part of me. Oh, well, pastor will call them. And you and I both know that that's good and great, and I hope that I can catch them, but they expect me to call them. It means a lot when you call them. It means a lot when it bothers you. It means a lot when you miss them because they don't expect it. This is what will build and bless a church and the kingdom of God when we as individual Christians fall so in love with each other that it literally bothers us when people are struggling. That it doesn't give us any joy or satisfaction to hear that somebody has made a mistake. God help us in the name of Jesus to ever feel good about learning that somebody in church is having a bad day. Someone is struggling. Someone has sinned, and you caught them, and you found them. Never let it make us feel better about us, but let us bring about some kind of hurt to us that somebody's struggling, somebody is hurting. Evangelism without the ministry of restoration is an eventual failure in the church. It feels good, but it never grows. It's walking in circles in the wilderness, feeling like you're moving, but never gaining. It is so deceptive to say we had 20 guests. Somebody came. If we can't maintain, if we can't keep them coming, if we can't be there for them, then we're spinning our wheels. It looks like good church. It seems like fun. We brag about it. We shout about it. But where is the retention? The retention is not in the evangelism. The retention is in the restoration. The retention is being able to see when people are slipping and crumbling and tempted and falling and being there to catch them like Jesus and Peter walking on the water but being able to be close enough to catch and pull him up when he's not perfect. For so many people are like Peter, walking on water, we celebrate them and look off to somebody else, not watching to see if they'll make it all the way back to the boat. And we have got to be aware that people struggle right around us, right before us. And we have to be having something in us that says, let's help them be restored when they struggle. If we can't help who we have, how can we help who's on the way? That doesn't really give people a lot of hope whenever they come to church and the people who are supposedly members are struggling. Because when people come into church, they don't say, I want to be like the pastor. They say, I want to be like the people beside me. In fact, that's what scares a lot of our guests, female guests that come to church. They're scared that one day someone's going to make them wear a skirt. Because they're not stupid. They look around and realize most of the ladies in the church are wearing skirts, and they have long hair, they don't have jewelry or makeup, and that's what scares a lot of the women away is because they just can figure it out. That no one's going to do We all say, like, don't worry, don't worry. They're like, okay, yeah, don't worry. That's probably what someone told you all 10 years ago, and you just look like everybody else, don't you? So, so we, we get it. We get that, that it's going to be tough on people. But if, we don't, if we're not okay, what hope does it give to people who come in the door and they're like, I'm messy. My life's a mess. And we're like, no, God's got you. It's going to be okay. The only way they would truly believe that it's going to be okay is if they knew us enough to know that we help each other. If they know that we help each other, they know that someone can help them that they can trust that we've got them when they begin to fall or begin to slip. And I realize that we can't make people stay faithful, but we should have a clear and successful plan in place to be able to make sure people make it in the name of Jesus. Uh, I have this, maybe you have this too, I have this really annoying ability to notice everything. I wish I didn't. I, I, I want to be the horse downtown with blinders on the sides of my eyes because I, I see way too much. Maybe you do too. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person that you see things you don't want to see, that you notice things that you don't want to notice. There are others, though, in the church that they see nothing. They're as happy as a lark. They have no clue what's happening around them. Everything's good. Everything's great. Everybody's okay. They don't have a clue. That's, an, a, that's a blessing right there. I, I am jealous of you. 
I wish that I could have that spirit on me from time to time. But both of these uh, people have a, a blessing and a curse. Uh, people like me that notice everything, it can be a great blessing because you can see things that need to be fixed. You can see things that uh, aren't right. You can catch stuff early. It's a great blessing. But the curse is, is that you get overwhelmed sometimes with all the things that you see. You have to be careful not to be critical. You have to be careful to make sure you have thankfulness because sometimes you can get tunnel vision and you can look at the whole world. Like, like in the Bible, there were prophets that were like, nobody serves you but me. And God's like, shut up. Yes, they do. And I'm like, I felt like I've been there before. I felt like I've been like, God, ain't nobody right but me. I'm just going to go live by myself. Cause I, and then that's just so, it's a dumb, it's a lie. And God slaps you in the back of the head like, no, you got problems too. You're like, okay, yes, you're right. I have, I have problems too. So some people notice things, and it can be a blessing. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you figured it out yet, but if you're in church long enough, you're going to figure out that there are people with problems that come to church. I hope that doesn't shock you. I hope that you realize that kind of is the point of church. <laughs> people get their, they get so messed up when they're like, I went to that church, and there's people there with problems. And I'm like, what do you think? That's like going to the hospital and being like, why is everyone so sick? Stupid. I'm not ever going to go to the hospital. Everyone there is sad. <laughs> I mean, they're, they don't, <laughs> they're there because they know they need help. They're there because they know that that place has potential to help them. And so the people that are at church aren't all perfect. They're there because they needed something from God and from others. And you've got to realize when you go to church, you're not going to surround yourself with a bunch of perfect people. There's going to be brothers who are overtaken in a fault. That's, that's Bible talk for people just just mess up sometimes and make mistakes. I know when I was in Dallas working on staff in Dallas as a minister, um, I would often find problems. I'd bring them to the pastor like I was supposed to, uh, like I was supposed to bring them to the pastor because he's the one that can help fix them. And uh, I, I would bring them to him, and uh, he would look at me and say, keep your eyes on Jesus, Bubba. That's pastor code for don't you dare mess with them. Let me handle them. That's pastor talk for I know there's problems in the church. Don't get all messed up because it'll mess you up. That was, uh, that was years of experience talking because this particular pastor that I was working with had a gift of letting things go. He was like the duck that let the water go down the back. He didn't was bothered by nothing. He was a short-fused kind of guy. He'd be bothered by it for 60 seconds. He'd let you have it and forget about it. And there was one time I made him so mad he told me to shut up. And the next day he was like, where are we going to eat? I was like, I almost quit you and Jesus yesterday. And you want to go out to eat? He's like, what happened yesterday? I'm like, I cried all night. Because he was one of those kind of people that doesn't notice everything. And I notice everything. And so it was a miracle that he and I were together as long as we were. But it was good for both of us to have each other. And so I, I know I know what it's like to be told to keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, but whenever I tried to keep my eyes on Jesus, what all I could see whenever I would look to Jesus was I could imagine Jesus looking at me going, you're right, they are crazy. <laughs> I know. And Jesus is like, I don't know. What do we do? I'm, I don't know, Jesus. Like, I look at Jesus, and I didn't see Jesus be like, ignore it. I always felt like Jesus was like, go fix it. I'm, like, I'm not allowed to. He told me not to. So it didn't always help me to look to Jesus because, you know, whenever you, whenever you have an agenda, you can make Jesus say whatever you want him to say. And so, so what he was trying to say was, don't get frustrated with problems in the church. Yeah, there's going to be crazy things happen. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Galatia here. Sometimes you're going to find somebody in the church who's been overtaken in a fault. That's what he's teaching them. And um, we're going to have to know how to deal with it. So let me explain the difference because not everybody is overtaken in a fault that just makes a mistake. Not everybody's on their way backsliding. Not everybody's just some devil worshiper. We've got to make sure we understand the difference here, okay? The difference is, is there are some church folks that they don't go dive into a fault, okay, uh, that's what sinners do. Sinners willingly choose to, to jump in to a fault. There's a difference in jumping in to grasping, to grabbing, to desiring, and just tripping. And some people in church are just tripping. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just tripping. 
It's, it's okay. There's a big difference. We've got to be so careful to be able to judge the difference in someone in church who's just tripping and someone who's jumping. Because people that are jumping in going to be very difficult to help. But people who have been overtaken, that's like Aspen whenever he was three and we're in California and we wanted to go see the big waves and we didn't realize they weren't Galveston waves. They were like surfing waves. And this one just snuck up on him and knocked him down. And he got up, I mean, he almost drowned right there in six inches of water. Because when that thing hit, it was, it was crazy. That's called being overtaken. That's, that's what happens when you get a little too close and you just, you just didn't realize what you were doing. There's a massive difference in someone throwing on a wetsuit, jumping in the ocean. So there are brothers and there are sisters and people in church that they don't plan on getting crazy. It just happens. It just happens to us sometimes. Sometimes people just get in over their head. It's the difference in the tripping and the laying down, and it laying down is, is intentional. Tripping is accidental. There is no perfection in the body of Christ. Perfection is not a manifestation. Perfection is a destination. It's somewhere that we're heading, somewhere we're trying to go. You'll never find perfection in the kingdom of God. You'll simply find people that say, no matter what, I'm going forward. No matter what, I'm going to get up and go forward. That's what, that's what real Christians do. That's how you can be saved and not perfect. Because salvation is not elevation. Salvation is destination. Salvation is where you're going. It's how you get up and keep going. Though I fall, rejoice not against me, oh, my enemy, because when I fall, I will arise. I'm going to get up and go forward. My mind is made up. I can't move forward and stay down. I'm going to get up, not because I'm trying to be somebody, because I'm trying to go somewhere. So you've got to make sure whenever you're looking at brothers and sisters to see, do they have momentum and they made a mistake? Because we like to judge people and write people off because we, look, we don't look at their pattern. We look at the moments. I, I judge by patterns. If you're always late, you got a problem. If it happens a couple times, no big deal. It happens. We have to look for patterns because when you see someone consistently, consistently doing something, they're not just tripping. They're, they're, they're indulging in these things. There is a difference. Let me say it like this. There's a difference in somebody who, who trips and wants to get back up and somebody who just lays down and could care less. Because we can't help a brother who does not want to get back up, and you can't waste your time with someone who does not want to get back up. Can't do it. You, you have got to be so careful because you have to know the difference in someone who wants your help and somebody who just wants to cause problems. You have to know the difference in somebody who you can actually help and someone that you can't. And someone who's made a mistake, an honest mistake, they want to be restored, and they welcome your ministry, your service, and your efforts. So know who it is that you're dealing with in the kingdom. Because we can't help a brother who does not want to get up. This is why Paul also taught there are some brothers. Go to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, media people. This is why Paul also taught there are some brothers that we should not fellowship with. And I briefly touched on this not long ago, but let me explain it to you biblically. Let's slow down a little bit. 1 Corinthians 5 and 9, Paul talking to the church. He said, I wrote to you a letter not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, or idolaters, for then must you needs to go out of the world. Notice the, the, the context here. He, he had to make sure that he told the church, this is just how you got to talk to church folks. The church folks take stuff too far. He said, when I told you guys to hang out with fornicators, some of y'all can take me too literal. You, you won't hang out, you won't even go to the store anymore. See how some people get a little, they get a little too far out there trying to be spiritual? This is what we do sometimes. That's the spirit of that legalism, that law that comes in. You take every reference in the Bible and you apply it to empower you so that you're better than everybody else and you can't go anywhere now because you're so special. Look what Paul said. If, if it was about not being around sinners, you couldn't be in the world anymore. So, so Paul is clarifying, when I tell you be careful who you hang with, I'm trying to make sure you understand this is primarily for those of you in the church. It, you have to be careful with the brothers, some brothers and sisters in the church that are fornicators, covetousness, those who are extortioners, those who are idolaters. 
but in the church. But look in verse 11, but now I've written unto you to not keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or extortioner, with such a one, don't even eat with them. Don't fellowship with them. If they're a brother, now you got to know if they're a brother. See, it's like I'm always trying to get our church to find out who's a brother and who's not. Because some of y'all don't, we don't know who to hang out with in church. And, and just, just so we're all clear, there is a brother and non-brother. Or oh, the Bible wouldn't have said it. These days, people don't drink the Kool-Aid. These days, it's like anybody can come, anybody be a member here. That's impossible. How do you operate your church with 5,000 people? You don't even know who's in the church or not. H- how do you know who to hang with? How do you know how to deal? You couldn't, even, you couldn't even obey the Scripture if you didn't have a clear line of who was really in the church and out of the church. So understand, as a pastor, when I do this stuff, I'm not doing this stuff because I'm trying to have an ego thing, like I just want to know how many people we have. I'm trying to know who is in what realm, who is working with us and who is not, who are we supposed to keep trying to help, who should I be careful around, who calls himself a brother but doesn't live like a brother, all right? Well, what do you do when you find a brother who's a drunkard? You don't know if you eat with him. A brother that's a drunkard that doesn't want to be a drunkard will let you get him out of being a drunkard. But what happens whenever you go to the drunkard and say, come on, stop drinking? He says, no, I'm not going to stop drinking. But I am a brother. You say, well, I can't hang out with your brother. Because a brother that does not want to be restored is bad news for the kingdom of God. Unsubmissive sister, bad news for the kingdom of God. People that are, have the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, that do not want to grow, change, and rise up out of their sin are dangerous. Because why are you at the church then? Why are you at the church then? If you came to church and it's not for good, it's for bad. Because not everybody that comes to church came to get close to Jesus. So, so this was happening in their day, and it still happens in our day, and that's why we can't go around being like, oh, brother, I can't hang out with you because I don't like you. The Bible says I only hang out with people that are spiritual. You have to make sure you understand the context here. There is a line where people cross it, and they think they're in church, and it doesn't say go up to them and kick them out. It says you be careful that you don't let their spirit get on you. That's the whole purpose of not going to eat with them because you have to draw a line sometimes and say you're not going the way that I'm going. But we're brothers. That's fine if you think so, but we, we are, I'm not going that way. Hey, don't ever get mad at someone if they tell you that they are not going the way you're going and you go to the same church because it's very possible that you may have something deep you're battling that they have battled before and they're trying to protect themselves from that spirit because that spirit they used to have. Don't take it personal. Don't get mad at somebody. Just because someone you can't hang out with but you go to the same church, it might be because you're struggling with something and they're struggling with something and they know their boundaries and they can't hang with you because they're trying to get right. It's kind of like if someone was a drunk, they don't want to hang around someone who just moderately drinks. Because you got to guard yourself. So understand, in the kingdom of God, Paul is trying to tell them to be careful with those who are brothers in the church that don't live the righteous life. Not perfect. That's why he gave a list of examples of things. Verse 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves the wicked person. And the context there was the man who sinned, sexual sin, in the church at Corinth. Put him away from you because he would not repent. He would not change. And anybody who will not repent living in a life of sin like that, of course, if they don't want to change, then they are going to cause problems in the kingdom, okay? Uh, So for that particular man, he said, put him out. Now, there are people that they want out and they don't know how to get out and they're here and they're not right and you belong in church. You hear me? If you want out and you're at this church right now, you're at the right place. You belong in this church right now. If you let us, somebody will help you restore and get out of what you're in. If you love it, if you like it, and you don't want out, then no one can help you. We can't help you. In fact, it's dangerous, but if you want out, uh, then in the name of Jesus, we can help you, we can restore you, we can pick you up. That's why we're here. We won't judge you. We won't cast you aside. Just tell us that you're, you need help, and we'll help you. We'll help you do it. So, 
So if we're going to help people who are struggling, we need to first know that, that they're struggling. The first thing you got to know when someone is struggling or if someone to help them is that they're struggling. And there's a lot of people that like to hide in church, and it's very hard sometimes to know who's actually struggling because we have got a stigma when we come to church, act like everything's okay so that you'll fit in. That's like going to the hospital, checking yourself in, and they're like, what are you here for? Just like being here. It does not make sense to be in church in need of Jesus' help and to put on a show like you don't need anything. The, the, most, the best way to create trust in the church is to be honest with your struggles. And the only way for us to be able to relate to broken people is to share that we have something to work on too. This is the culture that our church needs to have, that, that we have got issues, but because we like to hide, it's okay. Jesus gave the church the gifts of the Spirit and offices that can help us be able to reveal things that are hidden. So look at the things that Jesus gave us, 1 Corinthians 12 and 8. I like how it's in Corinthians because notice how there were things that were secretive, and then he talked about the gifts of the Spirit who are what would manifest the secret things, Right? Look, at, look what he said. For to one is given the spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. Another, discerning of spirits. Another, kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. So watch this. Four of the gifts of the spirit are about revelation. Wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, discerning of spirits. Four of the gifts of the Spirit are about revealing things that are hidden. Because you can't fix things that are hidden. Two of the gifts of the Spirit were about restoration, healing, and miracles. Yeah. Why? 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, which means to profit everybody in the church, to profit everybody else. Why would God give me a manifestation of the Spirit? Why would God reveal things? God lets us find the hiding things for one purpose, to be able to help others to profit. God does not share things with us to gossip about people. God does not share things with us to feel good about us. God does not reveal things to, to uh, shame somebody else or to hurt somebody else. But the Bible says the only reason God would allow someone to know something is for them to profit, to gain, to win. Okay, I'm building up this long ramp, and we're going to launch into the finder's fee. There's only one reason why the Spirit of God would ever tell you anything about anybody, and that's to help bless them, not destroy them. There's never been a way where God has let you know something so that you could feel special and hurt somebody else. That's not the church. That's not Jesus' spirit. And that's not the purpose of the power in the church. We don't have all this power to feel strong and mighty and to step on somebody. We've got this power to restore somebody, to lift somebody up, to bless somebody, to fix them. Let me say it like this. If you feel it, would you please help heal it? Oh, I just felt something over there across the church. Why did you feel it? So I could quit this church and find a better one. Is that one of the gifts of the Spirit? Let's see. Knowing which church to pick based on what you feel in the members of the church. No, that's not, that's not on there. You see, you feel things, and you interpret that to mean that you're at a bad church. The truth is you felt it because God wants to use you to make the church a great place. We got the most critical people changing churches nonstop because they see stuff, and they don't want the anointing of changing. They just want the anointing of knowing. But the purpose of knowing is so that you can be involved in the restoration. I just, you ever heard somebody say that? I just know too much. Really, you know too much. You know too much. What a waste of knowledge. What a waste of God's giftings for you to be in the know and wasted. To whom much is given, 
much is required. I just know too much about that church. Well, first of all, we're not, we're not shocked and we're not hiding because there are broken people at our church. So that's a newsflash right there. You should never be shocked whenever someone says that someone's struggling at church. That should never blow your mind. It should never make you go, what? I thought they were in church. <laughs> that's why they're here. I just know so much. So if you feel it about somebody, why don't you help heal it? If you hear it, help somebody bear it. If you find it, help them fix it. 12 and 25, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Why all of that? That there should be no schism or division in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. The same care one for another. The will of God for the church and the body of Christ is that we would care one for another. He doesn't let us know this stuff to talk about each other. He lets us know this stuff to care for one another. We have to shift our thinking as to why God would let us know. Because he wants us to not be divided. Why is it that knowing things divides us? Why is it that our solution over the years has been to go walk around the church going, nah, 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 I don't want to know, I don't want to know. Because we're not mature enough to know it and still love them. We're not mature enough yet to know that someone's struggling and still love them back through their crisis. An immature church has gossip and it kills the church. A mature church has gossip and it grows the church. Because a mature church will talk about others like this. I'm going to go there right now and give them money because I heard that they're in need of money. I'm going to go to them right now and give them money. The, the, the difference in, in gossip and just help is the outcome. One kills one grows. Pastor, I don't know if I should talk about this to someone in the church. When you're done talking, is it better or worse? Because if all we know is that you're talking and nothing's getting better, you need to stop talking. That's how you know whether to talk to somebody about it. There's always that gray area. I don't know. Should I, should I tell? I don't know if I should tell you. Why would you tell them? Does it involve them? Can they help it? Is it a part of the solution? Some people find out about it, and I find about stuff, I'm the last to know about some things because it just goes through friendly circles. And I'm probably the first that could fix it. Isn't it interesting? It goes through circles and friends, and, and, and what happens is, is people avoid the authority because when people are going through a tough time, they know the authority will give them the answer that they may not want. And that's the difference in us venting and us seeking. And when people vent, they don't want help. They want to they release to feel better to keep doing it. See, when you have conviction settling in, sometimes you want to find someone that's equal to your level so that they can't judge you for it because you know that they can't talk. You've got dirt on them too. And the reason why you don't want to go to somebody who's clean is because you're worried you're worried about that. But we have got to understand in the kingdom of God that when we get the news out, the news is not there to destroy. It's there because we care. Let us talk about each other because we care. Let us talk about each other because we want to help. Let us talk like that. Let, us, let that be our language in the church. Do you know what? I want to help them. How can I help them? What can I do? If I find out, I'll pray about them. I'm not going to tell anybody about it unless it's to help. That's how you know whether you should talk. Verse 26, and whether one member suffers in the church, all members suffer with it. That's how you know you're really in the church because you hurt when someone else hurts. We, we have lots of ways to find out if we're in the church, not just that you talked in tongues five years ago. There's lots of ways. And one of the ways is if you find out that someone is suffering, you suffer right along with it. And here's another way to find out you're in the church. If one member is honored or rejoicing, all the members rejoice. Oh, they got a raise? I've been coming to this church longer than them. 
Oh, they get something nice? Great. Once again, I'm stuck over here. You're not a part of the kingdom when you talk like that. You're a part of the body, body of Christ whenever you find out someone is doing good and it makes you feel good. That's how you know that you're in the body of Christ. Whenever you hear a testimony that somebody was blessed, someone had a good day, and it lifts your spirits. Because if they're lifted and you're in the same body, you're lifted because we're chained together. It ought to hurt you when you find out bad news. It ought to literally take the wind out of your sails when you find out someone messed up. It literally ought to make you sick because that's your brother and your sister. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you find a fault in the future, maybe you need to learn to pay the fee. Maybe God let you see it to do more than talk about it. Maybe God let you see because they needed the gospel more than the gossip. Let's go deeper. Finding fault with no intention of fixing the faults can even be demonic. Finding fault with no intention of fixing the fault can become demonic. Revelation 12 and 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God which accused them before God, gossip to God, accused before God day and night, Satan is the accuser of the br brothers, brothers, sisters, church folk. Satan knows a whole lot about our faults, just like Jesus does. But the difference is that Satan simply wants to condemn, and Jesus wants to convert. Satan accuses in an effort to cover his own evil. Watch this. Accusation is the medication for condemnation. When you're dealing with your own condemnation, the only medication you can take to ease it is accusation. The only way for you to feel good about your wrong without changing is to find somebody else's wrong and talking about their wrong. And that's why it becomes an addiction for people to find faults with no intention of helping or healing. They do it because they're trying to cover up their own sins. They're looking for a scapegoat. They feel guilty themselves. And they have to look for someone else doing worse off to make themselves feel better. Satan is the great accuser because he can't get out of his situation. The only thing he can do to medicate how he feels is to find somebody else that's doing wrong. And there is a danger when we find fault and we don't care. There's a danger when we find fault and we don't want to restore. There's a danger when you see everything wrong with the church, but you never lend a hand to fix it. You have to be so careful of knowing things and seeing things and seeking things that are wrong with no intention of getting your hands dirty. Be so careful of becoming accuser of the brethren. Because you know what? You might could find faults all day long and be right, but if your motive is not to restore, then it could be you're trying to cover up something secretly in your life. You know, there have been ministers who have been very hard preachers. That The reason why they found out later that they were hard preachers is because they, they were living in sin while they were preaching difficult messages to their people. Do you know why they were doing that? Because they were trying to cover up their own guilt. Some guys will get strong against something that they're in. Because if they can draw attention to everybody around them, they can sleep at night. I'm not so bad after all. Look at how bad they are. And that's why you have to be so careful. A condemned person who refuses repentance is addicted to finding fault in everybody else. They believe that somehow if they can prove that others are worse than them, it will alleviate their own condemnation instead of just changing and repenting and bowing before Jesus. They turn into accusers of the brethren. 
They believe that somehow, if they can just make somebody else in the church worse than them, it will bring them peace. But remember when God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's? Cain killed his brother Abel. We must fight the temptation to destroy successful people in the church. Their destruction does not create your success. When they're dead, you're still dead too. You can't destroy somebody else and be promoted in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, those who destroy others are cursed. It's impossible to be promoted in this kingdom by constantly stepping on everybody else. This is not the corporate America. You can't ladder up by stepping on somebody else's head. You can't climb ahead because you use people to get ahead. In the kingdom of God, he will reverse you. He will curse you. He'll take you backwards. Killing Abel did not make Cain more acceptable. In fact, he went from having his offering rejected to having himself rejected. Some find fault to exploit others. They don't care. They love themselves. Listen to me. If you know stuff, but stuff never changes around you, why do you know? Some people are just the king and the queen of knowing everything in the church, but no one in their circle has ever got better. No one in the circle. They, they know all the drama, but no one's ever better. Birds of the same feather, you know that they flock together. Yeah. If you have someone around you that shares your spirit and you're both in the hole, would you break up so they all can both get help? Because we gravitate to people who are in the same mud we are. When you're struggling, if you've got a fault that you're in, would you stop hanging out with people that also have a fault? Maybe you need to separate and go find someone spiritual enough to help you restore because you're in trouble and they're in trouble and that combination is not helping anything. Sometimes you've got to tell your friends, right now we don't need to hang out. We're both struggling. And there's people that every time you get around them, all it is is just talking about everybody else. You need to separate. Get around someone who doesn't act that way. Cleanse your spirit out because some people love to know things so they can exploit your weaknesses. Come over here and talk to me all about it. You know why they do that? Some people want to do that because they love knowing what's wrong with you. They can use it against you later. Some powerful people love to get everybody in their ear. Hey, come over. I'll make you some food. I would love to talk to you. They love that, that knowledge because knowledge is power. Back to what Paul said. Make sure that if you're struggling, you find somebody spiritual. The Bible doesn't say find someone who's a good listener. Someone that can relate. In fact, God help you if you find someone that is struggling just like you and they can relate. Hey, I'm having a problem too. How are they going to help you? How, how is a guy that's hooked on pornography going to hang out with a guy hooked on pornography and the two of them be accountability partners? I did it last night. Me too. Cool. Wouldn't you want to find someone that can pull you out of where you're at? Wouldn't you want to connect to someone who's already come out? Wouldn't you want to get with someone that used to be like that and they're not anymore? Because the model for fixing people is to find the spiritual one and let them pull you up out of what you're in. Not just a good listener, not just a good ear, not just someone who loves to know all the drama. If the people you're confessing to aren't giving you a way out, find somebody else. Because there can be great listeners in the kingdom that don't have any power or authority to get you out. You don't need a great listener. You need help. Paul said that if you're spiritual, restore them. God put the answers to our faults in the body of Christ. Spiritual people, listen to this, spiritual people restore other people. Can we remeasure who's spiritual at AFC? Can we remeasure decades of Pentecost by the biblical standard and not how we look? Can we remeasure the way the Bible says and not the way tradition says? If you're so spiritual that you can't help someone that's not spiritual, you're not spiritual. Bless God, I, I am so spiritual. I cannot get down there with the beggars. 
separate from me. Y'all, there's a, there's a difference in somebody who's living in sin openly and someone who made a mistake in church. And typically the difference is between the person who looks holy and the person who's struggling is one's better at hiding it than the other. Spiritual people can restore. Spiritual people can restore. It takes a spiritual person to be able to, number one, find someone struggling. Number two, have the ability to pull somebody up. If you want to be spiritual, if you want to do the will of God, then we've got to get to a place where I can find someone who's been overtaken in a fault, and I have the ability to lift them up and bring them up. God, help us have a ministry of restoration in the church. Spiritual people restore others. They don't keep their distance all the time. You have your parameter on who to stay away from in church, but for everybody else, find them quickly before they turn into a drunkard. They're not there yet, y'all. You've got time to catch them. You've got time to get them before it's too late. We have the ability. We can be spiritual enough to be able to get somebody and love them out of the fault that they're in. 1 John 3 and 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, but by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Oh, I love you, brother. Haven't lifted a finger. I love you. Here for you. That's not who we are. We're the kind of people that, thank God, y'all found out that Brother Ray, good old Brother Ray, he's been sleeping on a nasty, God help us, he's been sleeping on the nastiest mattress that you could ever have seen. I've got pictures. Been doing it for a long time. No sheets. All we had to do was just get someone to post in the Facebook group, and immediately people said, I'll give, I'll donate, I'll get sheets. My brother ain't going to sleep like that. Whatever it takes, that's, that's what we're all about. I don't have to do that. You are called to do that. We're all called to do that. I don't have to organize it and be behind it. This is our heart. And that's the kind of church we're called to be right there. We don't just talk about how much we love each other. It's not in word or deed. It's not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We have to put action behind it. Verse 19 says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Because we're not all talk and no action. Love is not what you say on this Valentine's season. Love is not what you say. Love is not talk. Beware of the smooth talker. Maybe someone today you're in here and you're married to a smooth talker. Maybe that's why you're married. Maybe you regretted it early on. Married to a smooth talker. Some people have a gift of gab. They have the ability to be smooth. And uh, there are personalities that are better at communication. Usually pastors, preachers are better at communication. I definitely have that gifting in our home. And then Odessa has that too. Uh, her and I are very much alike with the gift of being able to communicate and talk. And sometimes whenever my wife is frustrated with, the, with my daughter, Edessa, because of her mouth, I, inside I am trying to support my wife. Actually, on the outside, I am trying to support my wife. And on the inside, I'm like, that was actually pretty good. That was a pretty good comeback. As, but on the outside, I'm like, now, Edessa, you need to shut your mouth and listen to your mom. And I'm like, that was actually really good. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me because... She has this gift to be able to find a way to say things that make you kind of go, what, am I stupid? It's just some people have a gift of communication, and they can find a way to describe it or think it or say it, and others don't have that. And, and, and she'll, she'll have us. She'll have us second-guessing. Like, like we, we get her in trouble, and, and, and we'll, she'll, before it's done, it's like, why were you even in trouble in the first place? We should be grounded. <laughs> Some people just know how to weasel their way out of anything. But, but you got to be careful of, of the smooth talkers because, because if you're a smooth talker, you have to pray, God, I don't want to just be a Christian with my mouth. I want to be a Christian in my deeds. you got to catch yourself. 
smooth talker, salesman out there. You're good at talking. You've got to un be, understand, be careful of being a talker. It has to match your lifestyle. has to match your mouth. You know, a lot of people, it's not that you talk too much. It's that you talk so much you can't keep up with your mouth. Some people talk so much, we, we don't forget what you're saying. You, you don't remember what you're saying. You don't even think about what you're saying. You're just talking. But some people are very analytical, and they remember every word you said. And so understand, if, if people don't really trust you, it might be because not that you talk all the time, but because you never catch up with all the things you say. It's just constant, smooth talking. And you've got to be careful about this because the Bible says we've got to make sure that we're doing this from our heart. And then, and then, ladies, it's just Valentine's, so it's the month of love. Let me just give you a tip real quick. Ladies, tell your boyfriend to, to back up his talk because he's going to talk a strong game. But you need to make sure and use the Weight Watchers method. That's where you wait and watch. <laughs> Let him prove it to you. Make people who can talk a good game back it up. They need to prove it with their deeds and their life. Yeah. And I also want to warn the smooth talkers tonight that when a smooth talker is caught faking people out, it takes a long time to trust them again. That's why we have to be so guarded and careful at what we say, calculated to make sure that we mean what we say. Because if you're a smooth talker and you are caught lying, it takes people a long time. You don't lose the gift of smooth talking when you're lying. And when a smooth talker becomes an honest person, they still sound like a liar. You don't lose the ability to be a smooth talker. You just lost the ability to lie, but no one knows that. So to all those of you out here that are big on talking but not on action, the scripture says we need to be big on action, slow on speaking. Now, let me wrap it up tonight. If you're not spiritual and you're not qualified to restore, Galatians 6 and 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, considering yourself, lest you also are tempted. Here's why. You won't help them with meekness and gentleness. You charge up in there without sympathy. People that don't have meekness and gentleness, you charge in there without sympathy, without love, without care, and you're like, I'm here to help you. You will listen to me. Shut up and sit down. And you might be right and you might be good, but they're scared of you. People that are broken are already so fragile that you might be a drill sergeant for Jesus uh, and they're scared to death of you. Some people have a great anointing to fix things, but no one likes you. You're right, but we don't like you. That's why he said, if you're going to fix people that are going through a tough time in life, you got to do it the right way. Meekness, gentleness. Because you might be the smartest person in the church, the most spiritual person in the church, but that doesn't give you the right to steamroll somebody that's going through a tough day. And some people have an anointing to fix things, but they don't have an anointing of meekness and gentleness. And they're half good at restoring people. And sometimes they cause more damage than good. Not because you're not right, not because you don't know how to help, but because you have no spirit of meekness. Also, if you're not strong enough to lift somebody up, they can pull you down. That's why Paul said, consider yourself. Because if someone's struggling with a sin or an issue, then that means they could pull you down too. So that's why being spiritual means you're able to withstand temptation from the people you're trying to restore. If you're struggling with the same spirit they're struggling with, get away as fast as you can. If you have not conquered the thing that they're in, you don't need to be around them. Be honest enough of them to say, I'm barely getting out of that pride issue myself. You need to talk to somebody else. Because the requirements of us being able to do this is making sure that the people we're helping won't pull us under. 
I know you want to help. I know you want to restore, but we have to be spiritual enough to find it, but not let it affect us. From my study, there's only one way to not be restored, and this is how we'll close tonight. Everybody say hiding. That's it. There's only one way in the church with all of our anointing and blessing and all of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, all that we have to offer you, there's only one way for you to not be restored. And that is for you to hide from us, to not want it. Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is actively looking for lost, broken, and hurting people. Now, why would Jesus be seeking if he knows where everything's at? Jesus is all-knowing, omniscient. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus is actively looking for, as if he doesn't know. I think we all know tonight that Jesus knows right where, right where you are. So this reference is not telling us that Jesus has limited visibility. This reference is telling us that we have the power to hide. God has the power to find, and we have the power to hide. God gave us a built-in power to act like everything's okay. God gave us a built-in ability to go hide. It's the first thing Adam and Eve did when they messed up. And you know what God said whenever they hid? Where are y'all at? He said that because it doesn't matter if I want to restore you. If you don't want to be restored, the only thing that can stop this from happening when a church has spiritual people is for people to say, I'm going to hide because I'm afraid that I'll be stoned instead of lifted up. And that's why I have tried so hard as a pastor to be the first to say, we've got to be vulnerable and open. Because we've got way too many hurting and broken people that need restoration. We have got to make sure in this church, in this culture we're creating, that we create a safe place for people to come out. Because if they think that they'll be damaged for the fault they were taken over in, they'll never come out. They'll slip through the cracks. They'll miss services. You never know, we'll never know why. And one day they'll just be a ghost, a memory, someone who used to come for years. Lord, help us. Help us and help them to come out of hiding because they trust that we won't talk about it. God, help us tonight to make sure that we have this in our spirit. I, I want to talk about it every year because I want to make sure our church has this in our culture. We have to have this in, in our culture of our church. You wouldn't believe the number of people, the number of people that have horror stories of what they've been going through and things that they're going through currently, and they're scared to death that this is the last place on earth they can talk about it. And we've got to totally shift that thing. We've got to totally shift it. We've got so many people that will never come to church because they think the devil's lied to them, that they can't come here because if you ever knew who I really was, you would not want to be around me. Can we prove them wrong with who we already have? Can we prove the world wrong that we can love those who are already here and they're not perfect? Can we prove the world wrong that we've already got people right now that no one really should love, but we do love because this is the body of Christ and it truly hurts us when someone is hurt? That's what spirituality looks like. That's what a spiritual church is going to be like. God, help me to, to never just dance right by broken people. Help me never just to pray my way past broken people. Help me, God, to never think I'm so spiritual because I, I want on a 30-day fast, but never, ever try to restore anybody. Spiritual people restore broken people. And I know that in this place there are spiritual people that you have the ability and the power to help someone that's struggling. This should be the mission of every single one of us at Austin First Church to be searching and looking, finding not to destroy, but finding to fix. So if you see it, you feel it, and God whispers it to you, it could be 
Because God is trying to get you to participate in the repair. Gone are the days of us knowing things and doing nothing. Gone are the days of us knowing the people's problems and doing nothing. Can never stop gossip in a church. I'll never stop people from talking, but here's what you can stop. You can stop the spirit that says, I want to hurt them when I find out their weakness. I want us to know about each other's problems. That doesn't bother me if there's a safe place to heal. You, you can't hide. Let's all stand the night. Let's close our service out. But I want us to all stand the night, prepare our minds and our hearts because, because we have got to be good at not just finding fault in the church. We've got to be good at fixing. God, help us use the gifts of the Spirit to see things when the smile is on the face but the heart is broken. Because this is how people come in the church. They come in fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Why are you here then? Oh, nice to meet you. You're a guest. I'm glad to hear. Oh, everything's perfect. Going to heaven. Just wanted to come in the church. Okay, I've heard that before. We'll find out about the real you later. Come on in. Let's just be honest. Sometimes you're having a bad day and you need to call on someone spiritual to get you up. It's totally okay here. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. God help us. I survey the role of our church, and I look through the names, and I'm thinking, God bless them, God touch them. And I'm like, they've had trauma, they've had pain, they've gone through issues, marriage here, kids here, death, sickness. And I go through, and I can't find a family that's just on cloud nine, no problems. We're hurting people, and if we're spiritual, we'll fix what we already have. We won't, we won't go find people and be like, I knew it. There's problems in the church. No, of course you knew it. Fix them. You see it. You find it. Then fix it. What if God told you because he's calling you to be a part of the solution? The next time you know something's wrong, go to prayer immediately before you talk to anybody else. And say, God, if you, if you can use me. You, you showed me. You let me find out about it. I was the one driving by when the, when the person was in the ditch. Do you think that God has to spell it out for you? You get out of your car and you get him out of the ditch. Because you can. Because this is who you are. That's what God is calling us to be. Not shocked when somebody's hurting, but spiritual enough to find them and lift them up and say, it's okay, I'm here. I love you. It hurts me to see you hurt. How can I help you? How can I lift you up? How can I bless you? God, give us that culture in our church. The world is desperately looking for that. Let's lift our hands up right now and pray for that right now in the name of Jesus, that anointing to hit us right now. God, we're a restoring place. God, we're a place where people can confess. We're a place where people can talk openly. They will not be judged, but there are spiritual people in this place that can take it. God, I pray you'll baptize a large percentage of our church right now with the ability, with the spiritual anointing to not just know it, but to have the answers to fix it. God, not just let us to know who is slipping, but God, give us an anointing to pick them up, to carry them through, to let me share their burdens in the name of Jesus. When I find it, help me, God, to pay the fee to fix it, not to run away, not to get it out of my mind, but God, if I know it, maybe I'm called to pray about it, called to take them to lunch, called to take them to prayer. God, if you're showing me, maybe it's because I can be the healing that they're looking for. I pray you baptize us tonight, God, with a love for each other. That when I see somebody hurting, I don't want revenge. I want to come and bring healing. I want to come and bring anointing. I want to come and I want to humble myself. And I want to bless them in the name of Jesus. Help that be our church, God. Help that be our mindset, our passion, Jesus. Oh, God, help me have a love for people like that. Uh, help me know stuff uh, and not go, oh, yeah, I knew they were struggling. Help me know stuff and say, no, I've got to pray. I've got to fast for them. I've got to call them right now and tell them that I love them and that no matter what, it's going to be okay. Listen to me. Since I've been here, we had a man preach 
in our church that I know him personally. I've known him for years. And I know this man has recently had to completely step away from ministry because of the faults in his life. You know what I did when I found out and the rumor got to me? I texted him and said, I love you no matter what. I love you. Because everybody else is saying, how dare you? You knew better. And that's how we lose them even deeper. That's how we lose them and never get them back. They know they messed up. They know everything's wrong. They know they've lost the majority of their life. The last thing they need is someone else to point the finger in their face and stomp them in the ground. And I said, I love you. And I said, I don't care. doesn't care about the rumors I heard. I don't care what happened. I don't have to know about it. I'm here. If you want to have lunch, I'm here for you. I'll take you out to eat. I, I, I won't talk about it at all. I want you to know I believe in the name of Jesus things can be restored. No matter what it is, it doesn't matter to me. I don't have to know it because I know that God can do a work in your life. He texts back and said, you'll never have, you'll never have any clue how much this means to me right now. It works what we do. It works. It works. In Jesus' name, it works. God help us to know it and to love people through it. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Everybody say, I'm a finder. I'm ready to pay the fee. You got to pay the fee. Pretty soon, brother. Brother Joe's going to go get some guys and go get the bed out of Brother Ray's apartment, get a new one in there. You know why? Because he found it. And it's going to cost them. But that's what an anointed man of God will do. That's what we do. We fix it. We make it better. God bless you tonight. Thank you for coming out. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, if anyone needs prayer, please come up here. And we'll pray in the name of Jesus with you before you leave. We'd love to pray with you before you go. If you feel that, in Jesus' name, God bless you. Dismiss tonight.